I'm Stephen Falla, and you're listening to Pipe and Drape, the only podcast that spotlights the creative minds behind the theater for young audiences industry. Every two weeks, I sit down with a children's theater professional to hear their stories about the audition, rehearsal, and development process of theater for young audiences. Each of them have bridged the path from youth to adulthood while living in worlds created for children. My guests have mounted shows small enough to fit in a minivan to productions so big they travel by caravan. You can join the conversation by emailing pipeanddrapestories at gmail.com or messaging pipeanddrapestories on Instagram. This is episode three of Pipe and Drape. Target has put out its back-to-school campaign, which means it is time to discuss one of the first things that comes to mind when one hears school assembly, anti-bullying plays. Theater or role play are often hand-in-hand with education when it comes time for schools to address issues such as bullying. My guest shares his story from behind the pipe and drape setting of several plays used to combat bullying in schools in New York State. These plays have had a major impact on their audiences, and for this Long Island native, the experience of creating and performing these pieces was a huge stepping stone on his path to adulthood. Thank you for listening with me today. Today's guest is Bobby Montanez. If you have been to Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia between October and April of the past few years, there's a chance that you have seen Bobby in a number of festive shows, including Scrooge No More, where he originated the role of Fezziwig. And for all of my Long Island listeners, you have definitely seen him dominating the Long Island theater scene at the John W. Enigman Theater, Theater 3, Smithtown Center for the Performing Arts, and the Merrick Theater. Most recently, Bobby was aboard the Disney Magic, hanging out with Hookhand at Rapunzel's Royal Table. He and I met in his kitchen at a hotel in Toronto, where he had me laughing uncontrollably for 45 minutes. And today he is joining me from his home in Long Island, where we will discuss his experience performing anti-bullying pieces in schools all over his homeland. Bobby, welcome. Hi, Steve. You were born and raised in Long Island, is that correct? I sure was. uh, Lindenhurst, New York, Long Island. What's your favorite part about being a Long Islander? Well, (laughs) uh, when I was growing up, I was really, really close with all my cousins, like on my mom's side of the family, and everyone lived within five minutes of each other. It was that kind of thing where like, you hang out with your cousins, and they're like your friends, and people are like, what? Like, my cousins live in Texas, and I never see them. For like such a big area, such a close, small community, no matter like what your quote unquote community is. And then once I started doing theater, it became kind of a, oh, like, do you know this person? They're looking for someone to do this show there, or, you know, you're doing a show with someone who is choreographing a show at this theater. So you kind of get bounced around. And the biggest thing about living on Long Island is like, it's, it's a good sense of camaraderie, especially within the theater community. And also I feel like being from Long Island, you have like an unwarranted sense of confidence. (laughs) I think that's anyone who's like a native New Yorker though. (laughs) Is that confidence what brought you into the world of the performing arts? When I'm on stage, I feel that I am very confident. I know what I'm doing. I'm in control of what I'm doing and my body and my comedy and everything that's going on. Um, But like, I am the worst auditioner because I just, I have horrible audition anxiety. So like everywhere that I need the confidence, it's not there. (laughs) but like once once I'm once I'm in the rehearsal room or on stage I I definitely find it there 
it's so weird because when I was growing up, I played like sports. Like, <laughs> I don't know. All my, my entire family played sports. Everyone played hockey, lacrosse, soccer, baseball. And I played baseball and soccer until I was maybe in sixth grade. And then I was like, I hate this. I'm going to do theater. And I kind of like forged my own path for myself instead of like just doing sports because that's what everyone else did. I tried out for my middle school production of Beauty and the Beast. That was 100% illegal. They would play the Broadway recording and we would like just sing with it. Like that was like the show. Did your school offer acting classes or um, other opportunities for you to perform, like for credits? In high school, there was like drama class and like thespian club. That was really about it. Like you could do like the school musical and the school play in high school, but that wasn't until high school. So like in middle school, you could just do like illegal productions of Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Did you have exposure to theater outside of school? being in Long Island? Well, I actually had never seen a show on Long Island other than being in middle school and like a touring show coming to the middle school to like do a show there. Like that was my only exposure within school. But my parents took me to see Grease on Broadway in like 1996, the revival that was on. Rizzo was played by Xena Warrior Princess. What? Lucy Lawless. Yep. They took me to that. Like I saw Lion King when I was in fifth grade. But I remember going to see Little Shop, the revival with Hunter Foster and Carrie Butler. And when I was, I think, in middle school. And that was the first time that I was like, is that a job? Like people do this for work. And it kind of like got me on the, the path of like, oh, this could be like, I could, that could be my job. Maybe that's what I want to do. All throughout high school, I thought I was going to be a history teacher. I love global and like ancient history, like that whole kind of early, early history, like ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, Rome, Greece. Like I just, I found it so fascinating. And like in senior year, I was like, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I don't want to be a teacher. And like, I started thinking about it. And by the time I like kind of came to that conclusion, my guidance counselor, she was like, well, you would have had to have auditioned a year ago, and I don't know how to go about that now. I was like, okay. So I got into a community college in Manhattan. I went there for two semesters for my freshman year. In my mind, I was like, well, I'm going to be in the city. So like, maybe I'll audition for stuff. I had no clue what I was doing. None. It wound up that I had to take like science and math and and I was, I, I was like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. Like, I, I don't want to take these classes again. So then I dropped out of that school. Um, and then I went to Nassau Community College, which is on Long Island. And I was like, yeah, like, I'll take like a theater class. And it was like horrible. And I just like wouldn't go because I was unhappy. And like, it was, um, it was that year that I like started looking into like community theater So it was like, I got cast in this production of Sweeney Todd. And then immediately this theater on Long Island was like, we're going to put you in children's theater. You're going to do this show. You're going to do the summer show. And it just kind of like absorbed me in. And I wound up not going back to school. I never went to college. I say that I went to the school of hard knocks because from like 2010 until 2014, I was doing anywhere from three to six shows at a time. I would be 
in a main stage show, a children's theater show, and like an ed rep show, and then rehearsing another three. When I say I was getting paid, it was like $10 a show, like no rehearsal pay. And I was working at like a Dunkin' Donuts at the time. That's like amazing how busy you were able to be and learning so much by doing it, which I think is the best way to learn. I, I would agree with that. And I think doing it is like, I, I'm a hands-on learner and acquiring skills like, you know, doing hard choreo or, you know, it's, it's not the same as taking a dance class, but there is something about like learning hands-on. Part of your Long Island theater experience was educating students in schools through theater and performance. How did you get into this job where you are touring around multiple anti-bullying shows to elementary through high school students? Kind of the same way that I got involved with that theater to begin with. People just get your contact information and they're like, hey, like we're doing this show, like do you want to come down? And I was like, sure. So I wound up doing a main stage show at this theater. Same thing, like, you know, you're doing the main stage show and then they're like, hey, we're doing the children's theater show. Are you available? And it's like, yeah. And then you kind of do like, it just snowballs. And then I was asked to participate in the show that was geared towards like seventh grade to 12th grade, playing like the bullied, like the, the victim. And then in that year, there was a creation of a secondary show geared towards like kindergarten to third grade. So I was in the show that was already existing about like, like late middle to high school and then involved in the creation and premiere of this one about like kind of elementary school. What was it like creating a show for that age group tackling this subject? You know, I, I always find that like with children's theater, especially TYA stuff, a lot of the shows that center around that have like an underlying theme of it's not okay to bully or like be who you are. It's usually like late 20 to like mid 30 year olds, like pretending to be children. You just kind of have to get over like the silliness of that because it is something, it's something important to impart on children, especially because like, you know, I, I remember doing the the high school one like performing it while we were creating the younger kids one and watch like you can like look out and see that these kids were slumped down they didn't care they were talking to each other they were laughing at us like it just it got to a point where it was like it, it's lost on them the idea of doing it for kids who are younger kids are impressionable if they're seeing like these adults like say it's not cool to do that. And you shouldn't do that. You know, it, it, hopefully it has a longer lasting impression on them than it does people who are kind of, it's kind of established in their hierarchy already that like they, you know, that bullying or teasing or any of that is kind of established as like, yeah, no, this happens already. Like we're not going to stop now just because these 30 year olds are telling us not to. <laughs> um, so creating it was really, really cute and really, really fun. It felt really cool to be a part of something like that. It was, I was basically like just learning a new show. It was like, you know, I, the, the only difference was like, there were just changes made all the time. Like, it would be like, we're just going to cut this page entirely. Just transition from that to that. I mean, it was like with all of my really, really good friends and I can sit with any of them and we can talk about that. And it's like, it was yesterday and we just laugh our heads off and 
you know, just thinking about it. And it, it was, it was, it's a really cute show and, and they still tore it today. Being a part of creating something like that is really cool. And I went on to like create, like being like the original casts for like one or two more things after that. So it was kind of, it kind of like introduced me into that world of like, oh, this is, this is creating. This is like putting a, a to B to C together. Can you take us through a day in the life, morning, wake up, and then do your job, and then go to bed at night? During that time of my life, I was managing a Dunkin' Donuts. That included me opening the store. So I would be there at 4 a.m., and then when like my second would come in, I would get ready to leave to drive somewhere on Long Island that was often anywhere from five to 45 minutes away to get there for like 8.30 call time. If our call was 8.30, the stage manager would usually get there around like 8, 8.15 to like check in. They would go to the front desk like, hey, we're here to do the show. And then they would normally tell you where to park and then like open like a back door so that you could pull the van up. So then they would start getting some stuff out. But then by the time the actors got there, that process would be done. And then you would go to the auditorium or like the cafeteria, the cafejimatorium, wherever we were performing that day, that that old chestnut where like it's this room that's just like big and it has lunch tables in it, but there's a stage and a piano for some reason. And then we would go to the back door where the band was and everyone would take out these just set pieces. And it was usually just a bare stage with a general like light wash. For the middle to high school one, it was lockers. Each character had like a locker and and it was like props or like costume pieces or like, you know, in, in this scene, I'm wearing this hat, so I'm this person. But then with the the younger one, there was these like yellow benches. Sometimes they were benches. If you turn them upright and together and then put like a plug on top of it, it was like a table. It was like very, very resourceful, very smart. Um taking the set pieces out, setting it up on stage, doing the show, doing like a Q&A, and then packing up the van and usually going back to work, finish working. And then I would go do a main stage rehearsal after that and then go home, go to sleep and do it the next day. I think I would get home around like 11 and then have to be up by like 3.30 to go to Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know how I did it. I really don't. In addition to doing the show and the talk back whilst managing a Dunkin' Donuts, did you have any additional duties? We had to do our own laundry. We had to bring our own costumes like to and from. It was established like for the one show, like, okay, like this is the color you wear. Go get this color. What were some things out of the ordinary that occurred with this tour? What was really cool was with both programs, there were packets given that were like, let's like reflect on the show. Let's talk about it. When they did this, what kind of bullying was that? Was that cyberbullying? Was it physical bullying? And it was kind of just like, let's reaffirm what they just watched, which I thought was pretty cool. And that was given through the, the theater as well. Did you have any kids with snarky questions, especially dealing with an older age group where they're just trying to impress their friends 
by saying something during a talk back? Seventh to ninth grade kids are so snarky and so rude. They would like, you know, they would raise their hands and it was, and you could tell, you could always tell which like Lil Punk was going to be like, yeah, uh, like, like, do you do this? Cause you're gay. You know, right away we, we'd be like, well, like actually that's bullying and you're kind of proving our point up here. And if you have nothing else to say, then we're going to move on to someone else. And just know that, like, you just kind of proved our point and why your school needs this show right now. The teachers would just be, like, gobsmacked. And we would be like, do you want to handle that? Because we'll handle it. Like, we're about to, we're going to leave in two minutes. Like, we're done. So we can lay the law down or you can do it. And there would be times that the, te- that the teachers would, like, jump into it. And other times where they would be too busy grading their papers or, like, on their phones. And there would be times that we would go back and we would say, we don't want to go back to that school. They were horrible. And, you know, there would be some, to my understanding, some conversation of like, your your kids were rude to the actors. And like, we're not going to have that. Like, we're not going to have them come there to do this for them to just be disrespected. Because that's not right. There are other schools who would take that message in better and appreciate it that we're not getting it because they booked that day. Are there any other ways that this experience propelled you forward as an actor or even just as a young adult in the theater industry? I always found that, especially with children's theater, you, or like, you know, just theater in general, but like specifically this kind of stuff was having to be self-reliant. You might have to do a four piece suit change in 30 seconds And you don't have a dresser. You have to figure it out yourself. What can you do to make it work for you? And you sometimes you can't rely on people to be there. Sometimes it's A, not in the budget. B, while you might have like a four-piece suit change, there could be a girl who has a complete ball gown change. And like the one dresser needs to be there. You have to be resourceful. Sometimes you have to, sometimes props aren't provided. And it's like, well, I I have this old notebook that I can cut pages out of and like color them green. And now they're, they're dollars. And also it it gave me a lot of endurance, I think, that mostly came from being sleep deprived and (laughs) like learning how to function on that kind of schedule. When I do theme park stuff, when they're like, okay, we have six shows today and we have six shows tomorrow. And then we have, you know, 10 more days of six shows. I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I got it. It's interesting. Like at least I've witnessed the different way people in different theaters will handle exhaustion or what they feel is enough work or what they even what they think is good work that they're doing. That's a really good point. Um, I have always found that like in building up the endurance to do, you know, whether it's an eight show week or, you know, a six show day at, you know, a theme park or whatever, like six, six show cruises on the magic. Like we did. I've always found that for me, came from doing children's theater and that like humble beginnings kind of thing where like it's you and a group of five to six other people just like putting on a show and sometimes it's bare bones it's um pipe and drape kind of stuff you establish like this is what we're doing I mean everyone has to think about it the first time any performer probably saw you know acting or you know a show it was probably the very thing that i'm describing or something tya where your parents took you to some random theater where they're doing this weird version of 
Beauty and the Beast. And it's like in those moments where it's most important because kids are sponges and you don't know who's out there that you could be inspiring. Bobby, how can our listeners find you? They can find me on social media, mostly just Instagram, um, at Bobby Montanez. That is my, you know, it's my full name. Excellent. Well, Bobby, thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you, Steve. Be sure to check out Bobby's profile to see where his pipe and drape story has taken him. You can join the conversation about theater for young audiences and find more pipe and drape content, including photos, quotes, and TYA news on Instagram at Pipe and Drape Stories. And please be sure to rate and review Pipe and Drape wherever you listen to podcasts. Each star given a review submitted helps future listeners find the show. Be sure to tune in every other Tuesday to hear Theater for Young Audiences creatives share their pipe and drape stories. Pipe and Drape is created and hosted by Stephen Falla and distributed by Anchor. Artwork for Pipe and Drape was created by Stephen Gordon and music was composed by Stephen Falla. Thank you for listening with me today. You're welcome.